1: and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers.
0: Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this.
1: Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here with Lynn today. How are you? I'm doing well, Jen. I'm excited about today and our subject. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the five love languages and also how it relates to Gottman's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And so this is a topic that comes up a lot in sessions when I'm working with clients, and we had a lot of people request to hear more about this topic, and we figured this is also a great way for us to talk a little bit more about ourselves and let our listener learn a little bit about us too.
0: No, I think it's a great idea. I think it's also a good time to talk about the love language in terms of everything we're dealing with in the politics right now that we're facing some. Let's just say not everyone is speaking love languages out there. At the moment. <laughs> yeah,
1: I definitely agree with that. So um, I guess we can just start off, for those who don't know, by talking a little bit about the five love languages, and then maybe I'll talk about the five love languages, and then you can talk about the four horsemen, or we can do it
0: vice versa. Either way, sounds good. Okay. I mean, both are so valuable, I think, for listeners to know about. Yeah,
1: and definitely we'll post up some of this information so that people can read it for themselves. But in terms of the five love languages, this is an idea that is that comes from Gary Chapman. And the idea is that the way people express love breaks down into sort of five different categories. And because these five categories are so different, they're, they're treated as love languages in the sense that each of us may speak sort of different bits of languages, but we all lean towards a certain language as our primary mode of expression. And so the first language is words of affirmation. And this has to do with basically um, receiving unsolicited compliments, hearing the words, I love you. It's really about the words that your partner is saying to you. Quality time is about spending time with a person that is uninterrupted. So phones are away, you have the person's full undivided attention in whatever activity it is that you're doing together. So the third love language is receiving gifts. And this has to do with the idea of Gift-giving being about the thought process and really about someone putting effort behind choosing a gift that shows that you're really thinking about them. And then acts of service has to do with taking on responsibilities that lessen the load for another person. So this might be vacuuming the floors, it might be doing the dishes, it might be taking out the trash... Just different acts of service, essentially, that help unburden the other person of them having to do these tasks. And then the last one is physical touch, which has to do not just with sexual touch, but just, you know, it could be holding hands, it could be a pat on the back, but just the physical contact that is shared between two people.
0: And uh, I think what's uh, ideal listening to these is I think... Many people don't realize that there are so many communicating languages out there or components of a love language because right. everybody has their kind of integrated combo mm-hmm. of their favorites with this, and it can change over a lifetime. Yes. You know, when you're a little baby, thinking of my grandchildren, I mean, the physical touch is really, really important. Mm-hmm. You know, the quality time is really important. You know, so there's certain things that really make a difference, I think, with different ages. Yes. And working with my older patients, I've noticed, you know, patients over, let's just say sixty, you know, a pat on the back or shaking hands or touch is very, very important for that age group too.
1: I wonder too about that, because I know that in particular with with people who are, let's say, over sixty there is just generally less physical contact that they get on a day to day basis, research has shown. So, I wonder if in not having
0: that, it makes you kind of value it more too. I think that's true. And, you know, recently I saw a woman, actually just a couple of days ago, who was sexually abused, if you can believe this, and she's in her 70s just yeah. recently. And she, I think, because she had not been touched for a long time. Even the touch kind of froze her. She really didn't know how to deal with the touch that was coming, even the bad touch.
1: Yeah. And
0: uh I think for older people, learning more about this language, which is so important to them, and which they're deprived of, is really key. You know, maybe having a friend that you get together and pat on the shoulder, making sure that you hold your grandchildren, things like that are are really, really important. Yeah,
1: and what I like about this too is it sort of advances the idea of the golden rule, right? I, I talk about this a lot with couples, but when we're younger, in let's say kindergarten, we're taught the golden rule, which is that you treat others the way you want to be treated. And What ends up happening, though, is that as you develop closer relationships with people, you actually want to take it a step further, which is what I have deemed the rose gold rule. I don't know if it's actually called that, but that's like Mm -hmm. what I call it. Can you say
0: that again, Jen, for all our listeners? Yeah, it's the rose gold rule. Yes, it's the
1: rose gold rule. So it starts Mm -hmm. with the golden rule, but you're building on it. And so the idea is that Once you have these closer relationships, you don't just want to treat others the way you want to be treated, you want to learn what it is that they prefer and treat them the way that they want to be treated. And that's where the love languages often come in, because we will naturally tend to express love in the forms that we would like to receive it, but it isn't always what the other person is looking for.
0: I think you know that's right, and, and we were going to talk a little bit about our personal yeah. thoughts about love languages here and and just uh, working with my partner, you know he is he's a wonderful man, but he is not an expert, shall we say, in the quality time and mm. keeping the cell phone off and he'll pick up his cell phone at any moment just to look and see who's calling him. Uh, And, uh, you know, there are reasons for this. I mean, he wants to be contacted. This is important to him. You know, that kind of knowing that people want him. He doesn't pick up the phone. Yeah. That's a very key part of it. But for me, having somebody look at their cell phone move away from me. I spend my life as a therapist, you know, and people are looking at me. And, you know, and this is my most important relationship. It's a real struggle, you know, what to do about this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's a very important love language to me, the quality time, uninterrupted time. But for him, it's really down on his list, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
0: and uh, it's not key. And for him to not use the cell phone or to put it on silent or have a cell phone free time is very important. It's really a gift to me to do that. Yeah.
1: And so recognizing how important that is to you, he can then become more aware of how important that is to you and make those conscious choices to do that, you know, silencing his phone or putting it away. And I, I think that's a great example. Like in my life, I notice that when I get stressed out, physical touch is very important to me because I naturally will reach out to kind of grab my partner's hand or something like that. And there are times where my partner isn't super about physical touch or contact. He sort of likes it in limited doses. And so we've had to learn how to negotiate that. And he understands that if I'm under duress, it's a time where I'm going to want to have my hand held, you know, or he'll give me a hug, but then I'll, you know, I'll not expect him to like cuddle on the couch for 30 minutes or something, you know, and so we kind of balance things out. It's also not my top love language, but it is very high for me and not as high for him. And I, I think what I really like about this idea too is with, with using the word language in particular, I think it's helpful for couples to understand that it is almost as foreign as a different language. So for example, if I'm speaking Chinese and you're speaking English, it's very understandable that like maybe I would understand a little bit of your English, but I wouldn't necessarily be able to communicate in it. And so I think it. It allows for a little bit more gentleness in terms of understanding how come these forms of love are challenging for your partner and it it allows for a little bit of room to stop having the expectation that the other person is automatically going to think or experience that love and, and, and give and show that love in the same way.
0: And I think the metaphor of language, and this is from Dr. Gary Chapman's book, uh, The Five Love Languages, it, the metaphor of language is very helpful, that we all speak and communicate differently. Right. And we do this in terms of how we show love. So that's very, very important. You know, you mentioned uh, Gutman's, uh, or Gutman's, um, Four Horsemen. Yeah. <laughs> which is... Very important, and this is an idea that's been around for a very long time, thanks to his uh, savvy couple's work. And uh, he came up with four characteristics of uh, couples' interactions. So it can apply to friendships or social interaction, any type of relationship. And the four negative or apocalyptic horsemen are, in no particular order, but contempt for another person criticism of another person then becoming defensive regarding what the process between the two of you and lastly stonewalling the other person and i'm i'm thinking about these if these languages are not understood or they're not used the five love languages then it's very easy to transition into this other situation with the four Uh, apocalyptic horsemen.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's why having systems or strategies and like the love languages really helps give people understanding. And understanding is really what pulls people out of these four horsemen. Because what happens is when we don't understand, I think then we hold a more rigid expectation of the person being more like you. And when you can see that people actually are not like you, and so their reasonings behind something, an action that might be hurtful, may not be what you're anticipating it to be. So for example, for people who like words of affirmation, if you are partnered up with a partner whose main language is acts of service, They may be cleaning the house, they may be picking up the kids, they may be running all the groceries, but if they don't say, I love you, you are not going to feel that level of love and that can create a lot of uncertainty and creates conflict in relationships. And so by understanding kind of that you have these different love languages, as you said, you're more likely to avoid criticizing, having contempt for your partner, getting defensive if your partner is criticizing you, or stonewalling, which is just to basically go flat and have no engagement at all.
0: Yeah. I I think you bring up the acts of service and working with a lot of couples, that's where they can often get into struggles, Mm -hmm. you know, that leads to the four horsemen. You know, because they don't feel their acts of service are being appreciated. Right. And there's a back and forth around acts of service. So I often think of acts of service, you know, I like what you said about the rose gold rule. You kind of want to figure out which acts of service might your partner be responsive or most interested in? And what are you most capable of giving? Mm -hmm. And they might be very different things, but maybe working to compromises in that area around acts of service.
1: Right. And so I I think part of it is in knowing that it's almost like a different language, you can become more appreciative when you see your partner engaging in that type of love language that is not necessarily their dominant love language, but is yours. It becomes more meaningful. Um, But also it, it gives a little room for understanding like how come it doesn't come that naturally to the other person because it's just not something that is their own natural love language. And so I found that really helpful. I was just sharing that example because I was thinking of a couple that I was working with and that was what came up, you know. Um, Definitely another one I think that is missed or misunderstood is the receiving gifts. So sometimes people view that as being about just being materialistic and just like wanting items. But it really is not just about the item, it's really about the thought and effort and and knowing a person well enough to know what type of gift they would appreciate. So for example, I had a couple where, I can't remember, it was a long time ago, but it was either the husband or the wife, but one of them like really didn't like pickles, but liked a specific brand of pickles. And it was like the only pickle brand that they would eat. And so when, I think it was when the wife was in the store, she would make sure to go find that brand of pickles for him and buy it and just always have it in the fridge. And it wasn't until we talked about the love languages that the husband understood that that was her, one of the ways in which she was expressing her love for him was she knew that he liked these pickles. So she like went out of her way to go buy them.
0: Yeah, no, that is is really a a sensitive way to think about it. And it's interesting, the husband did not know that that was really part of the love language. that Sometimes you have to explain a bit further really what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, articulate that. And, And you have to talk about what you would really like two, I think, of what matters to you. You want to alert your partner to your love languages. It's not that they've got to grab them out of the air or something, <laughs> right, but right. Maybe, maybe say these two things matter to me a lot and these others really don't so much.
1: Yeah, and that actually brings up something that comes up often is that I work with a lot of clients who start out with beliefs that it is unromantic to have to tell somebody what it is that you want. It sounds like you've heard that quite often too. And I, I think it's actually very different is it, it actually becomes this beautiful moment when you've shared something that's important to you and you can see that even though it's not natural to your partner, they are engaging in it because they care about you. And so I think that's a very important, um, incorrect belief that a lot of people hold that we should challenge.
0: I I think you're right, that if you can articulate what you need and why it's important and speak from that point of, of really, you know, your own personal needs, it's very, very important. Many, many of the couples I work with get in struggles about trying to label with contempt. I think the others love language. Yes. And uh, let's say one person wants a lot of acts of service, for example. Then the other person will demean it or speak contemptuously about it, and uh, it becomes a real struggle. And I think that, as a point, is to maybe you can't fulfill your other person's love language, or you can't speak it, but there's no reason to really be contemptuous of it.
1: Right, and that's going to cause a lot of issues because contempt, what is so dangerous about contempt is it's the... Action of contempt is really about making someone else feel worthless in order for you to feel better about yourself. And when you're in a relationship, you can see that obviously that would create a lot of issues and power imbalances, and it's just going to create a lot of hostility, which is really what these four horsemen are about, is the types of hostility that are created. So that actually brings up for me, maybe just going through really quickly, I'll go through sort of what what each of these mechanisms are and like why people engage in them. So with criticism, the importance is to distinguish between what Gottman calls a complaint and a criticism. So a complaint is when you're talking about a situation and you're talking about things that are fact-based. Whereas when you're criticizing somebody, you are actually attacking their character. And that often leads to defensiveness or, you know, you're expressing a form of contempt. So these are all like very interrelated. But as I mentioned, um, contempt is about making somebody feel worthless so that you can feel better about yourself. Defensiveness is a extreme level of defensiveness where when you feel attacked by your partner, you go into a sort of I'm the victim mode in order to change the power balance. So it's not just a general like I don't agree with you. It's really about pulling on this victim mode so that you are not having a balanced conversation anymore with, with the other person. And then the last one I think I'm missing here is stonewalling. And stonewalling is incredibly harmful to a relationship because it is an abrupt connection or it is a loss in the connection because somebody is essentially so disengaged that there's no attempt for relationship repair. And so that is the most distressing phase usually for couples
0: yes and you know couples can skip back and forth oh yes uh you know you, with these different unhealthy structures you know but stonewalling is you know one that so people can use stonewalling as their first defense right you know and and that's really really an, an unhealthy way to begin because then you're not using any language of communication really with your partner So I think to be aware of that, and you know, this is one of the unhealthy languages that we see being used in the political situation right now. There's a lot of stonewalling that takes place, and our country is really locked in these four horsemen. Mm -hmm. You know, these four apocalyptic horsemen as modes of communication, and we see this in the House of Representatives, we see in the Senate, we see it with the two political parties. All of this, really. Yeah,
1: you know? it's really a breakdown in healthy communication.
0: Yeah, and there are many reasons for this, but I think looking at how communication can be improved and uh, is really, really an important part of this. And certainly, we can all work on it personally. How do you think children uh, can be alerted to the five languages of uh, uh, love? How I do you, mean, what I- do you
1: th- I think it's very similar. I mean, maybe maybe the languages you, you use wouldn't be as complex, but I think children also, when you just observe children, you can naturally see that they have certain love languages. I mean, I think of clients who would draw me pictures because it was a thoughtful gift. I have clients who, you know, when they really like something that I said, they will repeat it back to me or they will tell me. So I th- I think it's really about helping parents see that their kids are already expressing certain languages and being able to honor them. And I think that that brings up a great point too, because sometimes you have conflict in the family because a parent doesn't recognize or maybe has contempt for a certain love language. And that can be very harmful to children too. You really want to have a framework like this where you can honor each person's love language and allow them to learn how to express them.
0: And a lot of families, it's really interesting, Jen, because I think a lot of families I see, one child may be matched with the love languages of one parent. Yeah. And then one of the other children with another parent.
1: Mm -hmm. And,
0: you know, this is some of how favorites develop because there's better pairing there. But uh, I like what you've said earlier about how we have to learn the love languages of the the people we're with. We have Mm -hmm. to really know what they speak Mm -hmm. and how they speak it. And that's certainly true with our our children and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to be attuned. Do they really like touch? You know, are they very verbal and want verbal affirmation frequently? Yeah. You know, really, what are we dealing with with the people around us?
1: Right. Because I think in doing that, the the healthiest way is to model the acceptance of all these love languages. And I think you can also even point out in in healthy frameworks what some of these behaviors are, right? You can say, oh, how nice that, you know, so-and-so gave him a hug when it looked like he was sad. And that that's a way to express like, oh, that's physical touch. So I, I think it's really about having a framework that looks at all these behaviors in a positive light so that you can work to better understand and then want to make a connection with people.
0: Yeah, and we could start it early. The, the words you use for speaking to the little child, I think of good preschool teachers yeah. who are really able to use simple words to clarify love languages. You know, mm-hmm. Johnny doesn't really want to be touched right now. Exactly. You know, But there are other ways you could be his friend.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: things like that. They're really, really good at it. And I think we can all learn really from experts who have to help children learn about their love languages.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the most important thing is that when you start out with a basis that your love language is the default, then it creates a lot of tension. So what you want to explain at a very young age is that there are these different love languages and one is not better than the other, they're just different.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the other struggles I've seen uh, more often with male patients, you know, they'll favor physical touch, I e overt sexual activity as their love language, yeah. And uh, if any of the others are primary for the partner, you know they might move to contempt and say, "Well, mine is the top of the love language kind of pyramid here." Right. Um, I think again, this gets back to respect for the other person and really trying to make your partner happy instead of satisfy your own desires entirely. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's the the shift there. It's a it's a tough one, though. I think for people to learn because the culture, I think, does really limit the love languages and really doesn't point out that there's so many.
1: Right. I mean, I I definitely think people are moved towards certain directions, and it's about that balance between understanding that you have a right to have your own love language fulfilled, but that partnership is really about working to show your partner <clears throat> that they are loved in the ways that they can best receive it. And in theory, you're both working on this. So both your love languages are are being fulfilled. And so you want to keep that balance.
0: Yeah. Well, great subject, Jen. So... Uh... We'll come back again this is one of our podcasts we are thinking of placing more in a therapy series yes so uh, people who are interested listeners in therapy uh, learning about this or uh, you know again therapists this is a really a good one to listen to I think
1: yeah really about the relationship and I think you mentioned this at the beginning but I just want to reiterate even though these love languages started out as being about two people in a relationship, in a romantic or sexual relationship, it's really just about how we relate to people in general. And so when you start with this frame, you can build out into your, your relationships with your friends, your relationships with your cousins, your relationships.
0: It's not just about kind of your immediate relationship. Yeah. And really important for relationships with children, grandchildren too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All
1: right. Well thanks so much, Lynn. It's been fun talking to you. It's great. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.
0: <laughs> Come on. Let's That's let's watch. Watch.